This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. Yes, it's time for the Seven Years' War, so that must mean it's time for a talk episode remastered on the Seven Years' War. Thanks for stopping by, guys, and thanks for giving this a listen. If it's your first time listening to it, then you should know this did actually happen five years ago. It's a it's remastered, but it's not totally remastered like the other ones are. So, yes, these are five years ago, Zach, and five years ago, Sean. So, if that sounds like something you're interested in, have a look in and see if you can recognize the people behind the voices. But yeah, it might be a bit of nostalgia, it might be a trip down memory lane, or if it's your first time listening to it, it might just be an enjoyable conversation between two friends, which I think is what it still stands up as. So yeah, give it a listen, and let me know what you thought. Hope you're enjoying these remastered episodes, I hope you're enjoying Five Weeks to Run Wild. I, for one, am really enjoying seeing your guys' reactions, so yeah. Thanks for stopping by, thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Back on the podcast, as always, joined by my wonderful guest, Sean. Hi guys, thanks for having me again, Zach. This is uh, 
Pleasure as always. Of course. Okay. We've okay. got a lot of content to cover today. Um, we're going to start with the Dutch. Yeah. And um, talking about the Dutch a bit. You have a particular interest in the Dutch, Sean. And do you want to know why? Tell, I like the tell Dutch. us, Sean. I love the Dutch because I was born in the Netherlands. Now, I am completely Irish. I'm purebred Irish. My parents are Irish. The grandparents are Irish. But I was born in the Netherlands. So I have an affinity for the Dutch being awesome. <laughs> yeah, so they managed they managed to get through this war, yes. staying neutral and being the smart people and going. We don't want to spend all our money fighting. We're gonna go around trade and make more money. So yeah, they 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 chose the better path. They did choose the better path. They also chose probably the most unusual path, and it might even have been frowned upon at the time with all the other European powers that were at war. Yeah, uh, even just even just the fact that they they didn't go to war when everyone else did. I thought that was really strange, just because. Um, it's not like anyone else needed a reason to go to war, so why should the Dutch need a reason? Um, Money. They're really, really, really rich. Yeah, I mean, the the Dutch did want to um, maintain, like, save the resources that they had because they saw it just as the same as everyone else did, the amount of money that they lost. Poor Netherlands. They're so good. In terms of the Dutch being uh, approached diplomatically by various countries, including um, Britain, who wanted the Dutch on their side because they didn't really believe... In my opinion now, they didn't really believe that Prussia would be able to hold its own in Europe with everything that was going on. I mean, it was surrounded on four sides. And, like, that's a reasonable that's a reasonable presumption to make if you look at what happened in the war to Prussia. Did the Dutch hate the Prussians as well? You were saying that everybody hated them. Well, in terms of hating, in terms of hating Prussia, I mean, you look at the last alliances of the war, the Dutch were on the opposite side to the Prussians. So there's a case, a case there could be made for them not liking the Prussians enough to join into a military alliance with them. Yeah. But that, I don't really think that argument's valid when you look Especially at Especially the, because they're the Dutch and they're going to trade with everyone and they, well, don't, they don't really care as long as you give them money. Well, yeah, I mean, the, there's that and also the fact that <laughs> every, everyone changed their alliances when they went into this war from the last one let's talk about what european powers owned what when it comes to america well when it comes to america you've got the 13 british states which were you know the coast uh you've got the french louisiana Mm -hmm. just inland from the 13 colonies yeah and you've got the spanish florida also known as florida (laughs) Um, and then you also had the french owned um new france which is basically canada and then Beside that, inland more, you had the British owning parts of what is now Canada as well that went onto the coast. Okay. The uh, the French and the Brits were having a, yeah, this... a battle that wasn't like major scale in terms of the European powers, but it was pretty big on the Americans. Afterwards, when the battles had been fought, those results had pretty much stayed the same. I mean, so Britain went out of this owning a vast amount of territory in North America, and Spain... Spain owned the remainder of it and France basically gave it all up which is very it's it's probably unprecedented that 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 war would have such an influence on America itself because imagine if it had happened another way imagine if it had happened in that France had won all those wars and had taken parts of the 13 colonies I mean would Britain have given up then and said okay you can just have them or would they have tried and fought back and taken them back if they hadn't taken them back I mean America today could be very very different a French-speaking America? Yeah, how annoying would oh, that be? Oh, that would be the worst. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, if you look at... Um, like, I often think that it's... Uh, I, I'm going to say interesting. I often think it's interesting how um, it, English is the only real spoken language there. I mean, obviously, people speak other languages as well, but like... Um, how, they, they speak more Irish than we do. Do they? They have a higher percentage Irish speakers than... Well, we there, is, there is a lot of them. Yeah, they're, probably, they're, they're probably more Americans than... 
like in existence that can speak Irish and there are Irish people who speak Irish yeah I suppose yeah because Americans we love our Irish Americans on this show if you are Irish American we will give you a big pint of Guinness and and hug you and then in that order (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) while you're trying to drink I'm going to be holding your body (laughs) okay so (laughs) moving on and in this campaign as well you saw the emergence of uh, uh, not just the results of the campaign were important, but the people that were involved in it. Like, a big example is, is George Washington. I mean, George Washington, I didn't even know, I'm going to be honest, I had no idea George Washington was in this. Because if you look at American history, no offense, Americans, but, like, in terms of looking at George Washington, he's almost like a godlike figure, which is understandable in terms of, like, looking... If you look at what he's done, like, basically founding America, and so many things are named after him and stuff, but I had no idea that he actually fought for the British... And I have bad news for Americans as well, because if you think George Washington never surrendered at all, the only surrender in his entire campaign was to French, of all people. The French. Um, oh. At the Battle of Fort Necessity in 1957. I guess it was a necessity that he surrendered. Well, actually, it was called Fort Necessity because the British needed to keep it. Um, oh, okay. Because they believed that they so lost then it. So him surrendering was yeah. a really, 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 really bad thing to do. <laughs> yes, but they still were able to kick out the French, so it wasn't that bad at all. In the end, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, I'm just surprised that himself and Abraham Lincoln are like on the same scale. Yeah. Why would you Have you them? seen that new uh, movie for Abraham Lincoln? The Vampire Hunter thing? Vampire so Hunter. stupid. Why? I, I know. Why? Like, why do they have to put vampires into everything these days? Because they sparkle in the sunlight. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just don't see the need. Anyway, we're getting really off topic. Um, I want to talk about em- immigration as well. With, with, with America at this time, uh, lots of people would have emigrated from Europe to get to America because America was seen as like a, a chance to start over. Even in in the 13 colonies, you had the vast majority of them would have been from British and from Irish descent, which is very well known. Of course, though, the vast majority of Irish immigrants who came wouldn't have come until after the famine, which was 1846, 1848, around that time. Like mid and late 1840s. Man, you should know this off. I've just heard it so many times, it's kind of gone in one side of my head and out the other. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Even in the 13 colonies, you've got some German. Yeah, uh, of course. Like, other European people obviously went there. It wasn't dominated completely. No, but the reason why the British thought that it was so safe was because it was made up primarily by their own yeah, subjects. exactly. And they spoke, the majority of them would have spoken English as their first language, which is why they felt such strong ties. Oh, no, wait. The, other the, the, the Louisiana was made up of French? Yeah, a majority of French people. The name of Louisiana actually comes from King Louis... I'm not sure which one. It was probably the 14th, 14th because yeah. he did, like, everything um, for France. So he would have established that, and then it would have been named after him, which is where we get the name of it from. It would have attracted a lot of French citizens. The same with Quebec and Montreal in New France, which obviously would have been made up of French citizens as well. It was more... I'm not sure if it was strict, more strict in terms mm. of um, who could go to New France and everything, where it had to be French citizens. I don't think that's the case, but certainly in terms of who was there you would have known that there was more French citizens there. Like, it was definitely, that was, like, you would have been like, that's French territory, like, there's no disputing that, there's no one really else there. Whereas in the 13 colonies, you'd be like, well, they all speak English, but there's a good few people there from different places. 
kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then the Spanish, they've got the Florida. They've got Florida, yeah. yeah. Um, they got a Florida few other states along a few, the And don't forget, that you would have known from the Spanish-American War in the last episode that they had a good few territories in the Caribbean as well, like Cuba and Puerto Rico and stuff. So in terms of America, Spain really is looking at the trading aspect of it because it has those islands. Sugar was a big deal at this stage as well. You'll see later on the reason why uh, France was so content to leave New France behind was because it traded New France for the prospect of the, some of the smaller islands that I mentioned before, some of the smaller islands that had lost. France wanted to keep those smaller islands because those smaller islands housed the sugar plantations, which were so lucrative at that time. I'm going to catch you off guard, but what, what was the religious outlook at this time? Was oh, it? that's not really catching me off guard that much. Um, you would have had the, pro- the, the 13 colonies were predominantly Protestant. I mean, obviously you had Catholic minorities and stuff. Um, and then if you mm-hmm. looked... This is another way to tell them apart as well. If you looked at New France and Louisiana, it would have been predominantly Catholic. Yeah. So that's just as a result of the immigration from the other countries that just brought their religion and with them. Spanish as well. The Spanish yeah, the Spanish would have been Catholic too. This is why they they this is this comes into their identity as well. It's why um, even today there's some of that residue left over from in America today, where the majority of Catholic populations are, would be in the area that was once Louisiana. Um, like Louisiana now is only a small state, but before it would have stretched all the way. I'm not going to pretend I know where all these states are because <laughs> I'm horrendous with American geography. The middle of America, basically, it would have stretched from where it is now um, to like up through the middle, and it would have to taken Michigan. would have taken in a lot of uh, other states now that would now have a majority of Catholic population because the terms of the British Treaty, the Treaty of Paris, was that Britain agreed to respect catholic the catholic populations there not try to suppress them and um, that was one of the guarantees really? yeah france wanted that guarantee That's, that is so nice that they 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 did that because that's not something that they really took care of on the home island. Oh, it's they, definitely not. They were like, this, let's, yeah, this, let's oppress the Catholics until they die. Exactly. And that didn't really work. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is France was very worried that they were going to do that. They didn't want to abandon their Catholic population to the British. The British at this stage were seen by many in Europe as very intolerant of Catholic, Catholic minorities and Catholic populations. I mean, they had been prosecuting Catholics there for, like, in the home islands for so long. So yeah, it's not it's not surprising that France thought that they were going to do that. France may not have even resisted so much. Like France saw New France as not a very yeah. advantageous or lucrative place to have because it was expensive to maintain. It was expensive to resupply and defend and everything, especially with the thirteen colonies basically in the way of it. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say that they were reluctant to abandon it because they were worried about their Catholics, but certainly. If Britain had been more accommodating, if Britain hadn't got the reputation it had for such intolerance, then maybe it would have been an easier transition than it had been. It may, maybe it may not have had to go through war to transition the way it did. Yeah, really well pointed. It's like serious good deduction from the facts. And... Well, now this is is largely is my opinion. Now don't don't like put this into an essay or anything, but like <laughs> or do put it in there and say. Reference Zach Twomley, When Diplomacy Fails podcast. Yeah, yeah. That, that you can do that. I'm sure I'd be able to find people that agree with me. But anyway, we're getting off the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I want to move jump now. Unless you, Is there anything else you want to talk about in America? No, America's good for me now. Okay. Uh, let's, let's talk about Prussia. Prussia? Okay. Let's talk about the Prussian survival. Like, yeah. This seemed like it, it, it got reduced down to not 
Prussian dominance, it was Prussian survival, and that was it. It was well known at this stage, they weren't really fighting to defeat Frederick, they were fighting to destroy Prussia. They wanted to take over Prussia, and they wanted to partition it. Like, if you look at later on, this is a bit off topic, but it's the same kind of idea. Um, In 1795, the Poland that I'm talking about in this episode of Poland-Lithuania will be basically partitioned completely by Russia and Austria and Prussia around it. And this is what Frederick was trying to avoid here. He believed that if he lost, even if it was like a peace treaty and he wasn't entirely destroyed, the more battles he lost and the more they defeated him, the easier it would be for them to impose such a treaty that in order for his subjects to not be all annihilated, they'd have to agree to not be part of Prussia but be part of the other states that were around them. That's that's a that's a terrible outlook for a, a nation, especially Prussia when they're they still haven't got to like their golden boy. No, not Bismarck at all. yet. They haven't so. even gotten to Bismarck yet. So if you look if you look at this stage of history and think of what might have been I mean there's classic examples of what might have been all throughout history. But now imagine if Prussia as a state had not kept going yeah, if it had just it caved just in disappeared yeah if it had oh. just disappeared and become a footnote in history how different would history have been okay you look at what frederick does in this war in terms of keeping his country in the fight and a lot of the times you're thinking why is he called frederick the great at all i mean he's not even winning the battles 1759 to 1761 were just full of losses for frederick i mean he he won the odd battle here and there it wasn't a total knockout but Oh, it was just desperate situation for for Prussia. I mean, they... he he used one of his tried and tested tactics. Now, uh, are they still using military aids? Well, have they started using military aids at this point, where they've got people viewing battles from different countries well, just to learn tactics? They and may have maneuvers but at, the, at this stage, since everyone was basically at war. They didn't really have people watching other people do stuff. Um, military yeah. attaches would have been more used for small scale wars like the yeah. ones that I covered before because in, there was only a few in the colonies yeah there was only a few involved at the time like say for example a bit later on if the Americans had started fighting the Native American tribes that were there maybe attaches would go to there to see the technology the Americans were using and how it affected um, the subjected peoples but right now certainly there wasn't really much attaches yeah. going on just because everyone was too busy fighting each other I'm not sure if I explained this well enough, but basically the oblique order, which is what Frederick used throughout his career, basically involves taking your entire army, so you're about to fight an army of of the same or greater size than yours. Instead of fighting them head-on, you take your entire army and you hit their army in the flank with your entire army. Now, what happens then? Well, it might it might sound like it's an easy move to counter initially, but if you think of the armies prepared to do a certain thing and you hit them all in one side, they have to change all their plans at once. And not only that, but if you can take out their flank before they can react, then you have a massive advantage over them because suddenly you have superiority in numbers. Their flank has been taken out, so the rest of their army is, is weakened. Frederick did this. Uh, he did this tactic a few times. And, you know, you got to be really stupid. You've got to be a stupid Russian to, you know, miss this, that they can yeah, keep doing it. That's true. So, but they didn't have stupid Russians leading their armies at this time. This no. time they were like, oh, look, the oblique maneuver. How original, Frederick. <laughs> and they just pulled their flank back, didn't fight him, yeah. and then just blasted him with artillery. The it's battle, just... Yeah, the Battle of Kunersdorf, which is where the greatest example of Frederick trying to use the oblique order maneuver and just it failing completely because everyone knew it so well. 
everyone knew of it and everyone knew how it worked so they weren't going to be fooled by it again that's yeah. the that's the greatest example of it at Kunersdorf, where the Russians and the Austrians just instead of fighting the way Frederick wanted them to fight, they just pulled back and just and just used what they had as their advantages. So their artillery in the, in the center, in yeah. the center, yeah. I mean, the oblique order worked very well when it was a new tactic, but just like Napoleon later on, when Napoleon was fighting initially, he had all these great new ideas, but then people started copying him, and people started getting used to the way he fought. And then people were able to beat him because he wasn't this he wasn't this great new um strategist anymore. His ideas were old and his ideas were accustomed to, so people were able to use them to their own advantage instead of being taken advantage of themselves. Yeah. Oh, um Hanover, isn't it? The, yes, the British yeah. I wanna talk about British ties to Hanover. Yeah, good idea. Okay. Yes, that's that's um, really good. What area in specific what area what area? What what <laughs> what, what area specifically do you want to talk about? Um, I I wanted to talk about how the um the British weren't going to defend their own city, which they had huge ties to, until yeah. they were like really desperate for it. They gave the Brits a king, and now Britain is completely indebted to it. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, yeah, I mean, British monarchy today doesn't just come from Hanover, though. Um, Saxe-Coburg, which was like an even smaller German principality at that time, was where Prince Albert came from, and he married Queen Victoria. Right. So that's and that's later on. That's like the Victorian era, obviously. Right. Um. So, but even at this early stage, you had British association with German states, in this case Hanover, um, which caused it to be in a union with Hanover, which is... Which is interesting as well, because it means Britain has to change from its usual policy of not worrying about anyone but itself 
when you think of Britain as an island, it's a lot easier defensible than a small state in Europe would have been, especially when you look at where Hanover is. Mm. And that's why it got captured. I mean, it's yeah. right beside France. Exactly. France overran it at the start um, and should have, by all accounts, just annexed it. Like, they could have annexed it into France territory, but France, at this stage, probably didn't expect the war to go on as long as it did, and they probably didn't expect Britain to fight back and take it. So they didn't see the need to annex it. Maybe they just saw the need to hold on to it for the moment until and use it in a treaty. Yes, it was. It was really. It was really a good bargaining chip to have, especially because the French were not focusing at all on the American campaign. Yeah, the Prussians they start the war. They have the British support, but they don't have the British troops. No, and isn't this a betrayal of? like trust here you you could say that it is but at the same time britain doesn't at the start of the war britain doesn't feel it needs to supply prussia with anything because as far as britain is concerned prussia is supposed to be the continental power that supplies it britain is used to siding with the continental power but britain is used to siding with the continental power in the same power level as austria now austria is a lot different in terms of manpower and in terms of influence and in terms of its ability to fight wars especially at this time, than Prussia is. I mean, Prussia is able to beat it later on, but that's only after Austria has gone through six or seven years of war. So it, Prussia was being treated by Britain like Austria had been in the War of Austrian Succession. Now, that was fine for Britain to treat Austria like that, but Prussia is just not the same case at all. Prussia did not do well for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons was because it was fighting everyone by itself while Britain was just fighting a war in America. It wasn't until Britain effectively won that war or was getting the upper hand in the war that Britain felt it could fight elsewhere, the key being in Europe. Yeah, well, that's quite interesting. Mm. How did Prussia survive? I mean, if you're... Germany didn't survive when it was fighting its all-sided war. How did Prussia survive? What was the, what was the moment, apart from, you know... the super supporters suddenly coming in and like signing peace treaties everywhere by all rights it shouldn't have lasted it shouldn't have lasted no Prussia should not have lasted the amount of defeats that it went through and at the stages where it was just hanging by a thread there was two miracles of the houses of Brandenburg and one of them was when after the battle of Kunersberg where the Austrians and Russians didn't press their advantage and the other one was it was in late 1961 where Prussia had pretty much no options left Britain was pushing it to make peace Prussia knew if it made this peace, it would be an absolutely awful peace because they had no strong leg to stand on. They weren't negotiating from a position of strength, so it was going to be bad for them. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the second miracle of the House of Brandenburg, that really, really, I do believe it saved it saved Prussia because at the start, January 4th is a critical day for, for Frederick, for Prussia, and for future Germany because the Empress of Russia dies. Elizabeth dies, and without her, Russia does not have the strong leader who is so determined to take down Prussia as she was. Instead, she gets a Prussian fanboy, as I called him, in the form of Peter III. Peter III is interesting because he is actually with Frederick the vast majority of the time when Frederick is doing what he's doing on the battlefields. Peter III is such an admirer of Frederick that he actually accompanies him on numerous battles. This that is so cool. Isn't it very? It's very interesting the way... Yeah. Peter at this time was kind of scorned upon by the Russian nobility because he had taken such a he had taken such a gentle stance against Prussia and he wanted Russia to have the same type of military code as well. I mean, it wasn't feasible in a state the size of Russia that was so disorganized like Russia was. And many people could see that, including his advisors, but Peter didn't really care. And at this stage as well, 
because he was with Frederick all the time, he grew not only to see Frederick in his greatest victories, but also in his darkest defeats, and see how Frederick himself was able to cope with that. Peter's admiration for him would only have grown at this stage. And like yeah. that's something to keep in mind. Um, I didn't really go into it that much. No, you didn't. This I is didn't. all surprising. Yeah, this is all really new, and it would be it would be new. I I don't know how I forgot to mention it, but I did. There we go. I mean, it was pushing an hour, so I didn't really think I had much more to put in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Peter at this time for Frederick, he accompanied Frederick everywhere where he went. Um, it was only when he found out that the Tsarina had died, who was his um his great aunt. That's who Elizabeth would have been in, ter- in in relation to Peter the Third. Peter would have been seen as the closest relative to Elizabeth, but everyone would have everyone in Russia would have seen it as a as as something like everyone in Russia would have seen his uh, ascendancy to the throne as something which would drastically change the direction of the war, especially because they knew very well what Peter had planned on doing once he was in charge of the throne. I mean, Peter had been talking even before he went to Frederick, because he had studied Frederick as well beforehand. Peter would have said how he wanted the, uh, an alliance, a defensive alliance with with Prussia. He didn't want to go to war with Prussia. He wanted Prussia at his side. He wanted Prussia. He wanted to help Prussia expand and all these things. So as soon as he got in charge of his country, he put that into practice by withdrawing. Withdrawing from the front of... Prussia. Yeah, and that basically saved it because... That gave Prussia its one victory. It gave it its one pitched battle. Instead of giving it its pitched battle that it needed to win, it gave it its open front. Exactly. So. It gave it a victory in diplomatic terms. <gasps> um, when diplomacy wins! When, that's dipl- <laughs> when diplomacy wins, you get the survival of states in this case. <laughs> um, and you also get as well how important Peter was in negotiating the other peace treaty yeah, with Sweden. With Sweden which was signed on June 18th, 1762. This helped another front to be closed. This meant that Prussia could move those troops down south to fight its most obvious enemy at this stage, which the was Austria. Austrians. And Austria and now... the Brits were holding the French back in the Hanover. Brits, the Brits and the Hanoverians were holding the French back. All that was left to do was for Prussia to send its one-two punch down and take out the Austrians down south. Prussia survived for a number of reasons. The first one was because of Frederick, obviously, um, keeping his country in the fight. And as much as he said that he was going to give up and the situation was hopeless, he simply did not give up. And he simply kept the he sent he kept the Prussians moving to the, where they were needed, and he kept the resources for wars moving to where they were needed. The second, one of the second major reasons, is the way that the war was fought itself. I mean, you have. You do have the Austrians and the and the and the Russians working together, but in terms of a grand unifying strategy, you don't really have that. But that didn't seem to matter because the Austrians and the Russians were able to win so much. I mean, you had the Austrians and the Russians joining each other in battle, but you didn't have the Austrians will attack this part of Prussia, the Russians will attack this part of Prussia, and perhaps because they weren't able to create this grand unifying strategy and they could have brought in Sweden as well but they didn't perhaps because they couldn't do that Prussia had more of a chance and another reason the last reason of course is at the oh, end beautiful Peter <laughs> when beautiful Peter came along and saved that's his new name in history well beautiful for, Peter I'm sure the Germans would have called him that um, that they like without Russia's exit from the war without Russia's helping to negotiate the peace treaty with Sweden what would have happened? Would Prussia have been able to survive another war in the state that it was in at the end of 1960? Not, a, not, a, not another campaign. Not, not another campaign, not. not another 
not another certainly not another year like it was I mean everyone was pretty much broke at this stage but Prussia was both broke and severely severely hampered by everything going on around it and it had been defeated so many times it was it was hanging by a thread it only needed one last snip at the thread and one more campaign one more great loss could have been the thing that sent it over the edge I mean we can't really we can only really speculate as to what Mm, would have happened exactly but even so I don't know how strong Frederick would have been to prevent his country spiraling out of control had it suffered another year as it had before. Now, Britain's plan to keep Prussia in charge, to keep the minor guy in place, has worked. And the direct result of that is Austria's influence yeah declines it's just yeah Britain's plan did work but it was a massive gamble and the gamble very nearly failed it, it relying so heavily on Prussia on the continent was a very big gamble to make because they didn't ally with anyone else they tried the Netherlands as we saw but the Netherlands weren't having any of it so it's just the fact that Prussia was able to survive and win in the end as it did it was kind of like it absorbed everything and then just won anyway Britain would have been certainly breathing a huge sigh of relief and when it saw that its enemy, its other enemy in the war, Austria, was getting weakened in the process, it would have been very happy. This is doubly good for Britain as well, because it means that its main enemy, France, would be in trouble, because France's main ally, Austria, is now in trouble. France, instead of knowing that its border is safe, now is worrying that once once Austria has been pretty much defeated, that the Prussians are now going to focus all their attention on France. Will France be able to stand up to Britain and Prussia by itself? Oh, the the alliances we see here are the alliances that will exist in the next uh, set of wars, the Napoleonic Wars. So the Britain Britons are still on the or the Prussian side. Yeah, they are. But even 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 in that respect, I mean, in the Napoleonic Wars is different as well because it's it's a strange case because basically everyone is against France. And it's not even real France, it's Republic France. Yeah, and it's an extended France because it stretches out so far. Yeah. Um, but that's another story. Do you think war would have happened had uh, Frederick not chased it? Oh, absolutely. It was only a matter of time. Mary Theresa at this time, who was the Empress of Austria, who had fought the war of the Austrian succession on the basis that all the European powers didn't believe that she had a rightful claim to the throne because she was a woman. Um, like, that's a pretty bad thing to have to go through for her. But she did blame Prussia because Prussia had taken so much from Austria. Prussia had taken Silesia, which is, like, Austria's, one of Austria's most lucrative territories. And upon taking that, Prussia had gained so much prestige and power in the years between the war's Austrian succession and the Seven Years' War that Austria knew it had to do something. So instead of finding it by itself... It joined itself with Sweden, which lost a lot of territory in the Great Northern War at the beginning of the 18th century to Prussia. It lost a lot of Pomerania, which is the area kind of just the little bit of land that joins Denmark to the continent. Yeah. It's that little bit there. Right. It, it lost that to, um, it would have lost that to Prussia. And then it lost other territory as well that just left a bitter taste in its mouth that made it want revenge. Russia as well would have wanted revenge because... Russia wanted to prevent Prussia from getting too powerful to upset the status quo in Europe. That would have prevented Russia itself from maintaining what it had in Europe. No other country in the world, once the Seven Year War, once the Seven Years War had ended, no other country in the world had as much influence around the world as Britain did. And even it, like they were in the Americas, they were in India. They were just starting at this stage. Australia was starting to become something of an entity 
in in political circles as to what to do with it because France was looking to colonize somewhere and Britain was looking to colonize somewhere the Dutch were looking to colonize somewhere and the Dutch were there already so it would seem natural for them to move down south but Australia is another story altogether like at this stage the British didn't really have Australia but they had other territories to make up for it and their victories in the seven years war created their empire that we see like in the years after it like their war their the war in India removed French influence from that place that is so important for creating the trade monopoly that would eventually become their maintenance of India as a separate province and then eventually such an integral part of Britain's empire itself that it became not just a part of its empire but like a part of Britain and a part of British identity did you like the change of era this week oh I absolutely loved it uh going further back and you know making the precursor for the napoleonic wars really looking forward to napoleon now really looking forward to i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hide that don't worry guys he will we will cover napoleon at some stage Um, huzzah huzzah hurrah (laughs) we will cover napoleon at some stage i'm not sure when but the napoleonic wars especially the years leading up to the napoleonic wars are stuff that i am really looking forward to covering um, the diplomacy that breaks down just before and all the French Revolution and everything to do with that and everything that goes with it is something that I'm really looking forward to doing almost as much as covering the First World War which is going to be a challenge but it's a challenge I'm up to I oh think. absolutely he, he is, uh, adores the First World War I really did enjoy this episode yeah it was I... a quite enjoyable episode it was a, a little bit stop go because of the tiredness and, yeah uh, we're very tired uh, it's also really warm outside so I think that's got something to do with it I mean yeah I need, um, I need more caffeine I didn't have my coffee today so I'm not, yeah. as, not as focused as I normally would be so, okay well I want to talk a little bit about feedback um, and I want to talk about the stuff that you can do to get in contact with the podcast. Remember, be fit. I know, and I know I talk about be fit all the time, and I know I'm sure you've noticed by now that it's a pre-recorded thing that I just insert, but that's because I'm lazy and because I feel the best way for you to find out and to get in contact Remember is Remember my acronym. Repetition, repetition, repetition. I mean, Be fit. You might not think it's going in, but trust me, eventually you'll be like, I have to go and look at this thing. I mean, iTunes... Um, really does help if you can review or if you can comment because that really does help the ranking of the podcast I know it's kind of a pain because it takes a while you might have to sign into iTunes you might have to it might glitch a bit which it occasionally does and then you'll have to put the comment in again and then it'll come in twice which actually happened to me if you look at the Irish store of the iTunes store if you look at that right and you look at the reviews there there's two reviews and they're exactly the same both of them are done by me one of them I put in once and it, did, it said it didn't come up and then I tried to put it in again and then it did come up and then I went back to it later on and the two of them were there I can't get rid of either of them one of them was <laughs> done by a guy called Zakatwams which was my first name and then another one was done by uh, Testudo91 which is also my second name that I had to change but like I can't get rid of either of them so that's that why that is hilarious there. it's very annoying because it looks really ridiculous and it looks <laughs> like some idiot just messed it up and not only that but if people found out it was me, they'll be like, oh, you put two reviews there on purpose. <laughs> and I'd be like, if I wanted to put two reviews there on purpose, I wouldn't put two that were exactly the same. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> um, okay, and uh, so iTunes is one very important part. 
Um, but Facebook as well, I really want to emphasize the importance of Facebook. Facebook is the only place you can go to find out what the next episode is going to be. If you like the Facebook page, I'll always be updating it there. The Facebook group is also a place where you can contact me directly without having to email me. The vast majority of people, I suspect, would have Facebook. People that don't usually have a very good reason for it, though. And if you want to network with other history heads, that's also a good place Exactly, to yeah. I mean, that's, that's the place where you can start discussion better than anything else. You can talk to me directly there. I'm just a person, surprisingly. I'm not. I'm not a celebrity yet. And, and and I'll be on there making my two cents known about nothing. Yeah, I, I literally don't know anything. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that the Facebook group and liking the Facebook page with both of those, you'll gain more information and you'll you'll help this podcast probably more than any other thing. I mean, creating discussion. And creating awareness through Facebook is probably the best thing you can do because Facebook's just everywhere these days. I really don't mean to advertise Facebook. Mr. Goebbels. Seems like I am. Goebbels? Oh, yeah. Minister of Propaganda and Enlightenment. Yes. That's me. I wonder if they actually call it that. Because, what, what, like, the, the Minister for Propaganda and Enlightenment, he's actually using propaganda. So yeah. if they know that he's doing propaganda, they know it's not real. Minister, Minister for Health and Propaganda. <laughs> like to say, like, that's it. You can't hear it. What was that? <laughs> anyway. Health and what? We're going to try and finish. Okay, okay. Wrap yeah. it up. Yeah. Okay, so uh, thanks for listening, guys. As always, uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Uh, I had a good time talking and, you know, helping you and me suss out the, the finer points of your seven years war. Yeah, I mean, these, I really do enjoy doing these because it goes into more detail, especially in co- in conflicts that I'm very interested in, like this. It allows you to make points it and, does, and yeah. develop ideas that you had that you weren't able to put in as factual information. Exactly, yeah. I mean, putting my opinion on things, I mean, I like, it's fun because I get to put my own ideas out there. I hope I hope the majority of you would agree, but if not, well, I don't really care because it's, it's my podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I do... <laughs> I do appreciate that this isn't everyone's cup of tea, but also at the same time, if you don't like the 1.5 episodes, like it'll always say talk. So if you don't want to listen to it, you don't really have to. I mean, yeah, you can avoid them like the plague. Exactly. I'm trying to accommodate as many people as possible. Some people say the talking on your own part is a bit dry, which I do agree with. It can be a bit. It can be a bit dry, but, but it's I, super informative. Yeah. So what's your problem? It's the most informative. <laughs> it's the most informative way to do things. And I hope that by doing it like this, you'll hear that I'm not just boring and um, solitary and... Okay, guys. Remember, be fit. Yeah, don't be lazy. Um, Get outside and yeah. run while you listen to this. Yeah, run while you listen to this, guys. Running is really underrated. Go for a run today. It's free as well. You don't even have to pay for a gym. Anyway, I'd like to say thank you very much to Sean for joining me. And no this, problem. This will definitely not be the last talk episode that we do because I find them so enjoyable. And I know people out there find them enjoyable as well. So, with that being said, I will take my leave, and so shall Sean. Sloan. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.